Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, everybody. I'm Seth Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. Today's guest is Mel Schilling. Mel knows a thing or two about confidence. As the resident relationship advisor on Married at First Sight, she's helped guide the show's couples through some rather rough patches. But long before she became a talking head on TV, Mel spent over 20 years as a psychologist and success coach, teaching everyone from CEOs to business owners to actors and athletes how to be the best they can be. Now she's put all that advice into a new book, C is for Confidence, and she's here with us today to share her top tips for shushing that inner critic and channeling your superpowers. Mel, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's great to have you with us. Oh, what a pleasure. I'm looking forward to getting into it. Let's do it. Excellent. Now, everybody probably knows you as the relationship expert on maths, but Mm -hmm. for years and years before that, you did have another life. (laughs) And you you spent a lot of time uh, helping empower people to be the best that they could be, CEOs, business owners, everyday people. Where did your passion for that come from? Well, you're right. I did have a life before maths, which is always <laughs> nice to reveal. I I spent 20 years as a psychologist in Australia. So for me, a lot of that was about working with people in business, in organisations. So I did a lot of coaching and keynotes and running workshops and really working with people and teams to help them cut through fear, really, and step into courage and and be the best. It sounds a bit cliche now that I say it, but be the best versions of themselves. So often that was about, you know, how do I speak up in a movie, (laughs) in a movie, in a meeting? There's my perimenopause. (laughs) Rear her ugly head. So welcome. Welcome, Perry. Um, people to speak up in meetings or, you know, to ask for that pay rise or, you know, even in personal relationships, it was often about, you know, how do I have this difficult conversation with a family member or a partner? So I found that a lot of the work that I was doing with people in organisations flowed through into the the other parts of their lives as well and, and often into their relationship space. So that's where I started to become really interested in not just single people finding love but also people who were in relationships and how to actually be assertive and, and bring your power to that relationship. Hmm. Were you always someone that had a lot of empathy like as a kid were you the the one that everyone turned to you with their problems? <laughs> yeah, uh, look, the, uh, yes. And, and the reason I'm giggling is because one of my early mentors in my my corporate career, use, uh, a male, saw my empathy as a problem. <laughs> and he would often say to me, Mel, you're tripping over your empathy again. And that phrase has stayed with me. So it's funny, whenever someone 
highlights my empathy, I get a little bit of a, a almost like a cringe because it was almost used as a weapon against me. So yes, I have empathy and yes, I'm damn proud of that fact. <laughs> Once you silence that inner critic you are. <laughs> right, exactly. Yes. So so for you it's a lot about um that emotional emotional bravery, kind of um stepping out yeah. of your comfort zone and setting yourself up for success. Yeah, I love that you use that term emotional bravery, because I think it's something that's not often talked about. You know, we talk a lot about being brave in the behavioral sense or the physical sense, you know, literally stepping outside the comfort zone or doing something in the behavioral sense that is that is new and different to us. But I really love the idea of emotional courage, because it um, often goes unnoticed, you know, often it is something that we do as part of our inner work, you know, it can be quite a private journey. So, you know, let's say, for example, you're someone who in your emotional life is someone who's a little timid or maybe a little closed off, or maybe you've got some walls up because you've been hurt in the past. Making the decision to set a new boundary or to show a new level of vulnerability takes incredible courage and bravery. And I think that if 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 that is a step that someone takes after reading my book then that is something that would make me so incredibly happy because you know I really see that as as a huge step a real milestone in someone's development it is an interesting time i think especially for business owners as well because mm. uh there's this there's all the pressures that have obviously happened because of the pandemic that are additional to the day-to-day pressures of running your own business. But there's also this great thing that has occurred, which is people are allowed to be so much more their authentic self, whether yeah. that's at work or whether it's it's as the business owner. And it's reflected everywhere. Like mm. you, you go onto any social media and people are being far more authentic. Yeah. And I think that that's a great thing that has happened out of out of the pandemic. I agree. Look, I think there's a number of silver linings, you know, particularly for people in business. And 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 certainly one of them, you know, it, it's hotly debated the idea of the Zoom meeting or the video meeting, and there are definitely pros and cons. But I would see one of the pros being that, you know, sure, at the, at the start of lockdown and the pandemic, we all jumped on our video meetings with a full face of makeup, head to toe in corporate gear, <laughs> you know, ready to perform. And watching, you know, that that drop off over the last couple of years to the point where people are, you know, women are less less likely to do the full makeup. And, you know, if, if their, their scene behind them isn't perfectly kept, well, that's okay too. We are showing up you know, more raw and more vulnerable and open. And, you know, I am I personally love that because, you know, in my professional life, I have to be, you know, full head to toe, hair and makeup glam. I love jumping on a meeting now and, and being makeup free and, you know, just sort of showing the, the real side of who I am. And likewise on social media and people respond so much more naturally to it. I love mm. that. Do you think that's a bit of a flip side to that though now as well in that, you know, everyone's kind of making their way slowly back into the offices, etc. Mm-hmm. So they don't necessarily want to see you in your gym jams with um, <laughs> your kids running past or the dog jumping on your lap. 
Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because a lot of workplaces are going back to a hybrid approach, aren't they? Where there's some people in the office and some are still working from home or having a bit of a split week. Look, I think it comes down to each organisation or each workplace setting some new boundaries and some new sort of ground rules for how how life and business happens and showing some flexibility for, you know, people who have made different choices about how they're balancing their life at home and at work. Um, I think you make a good point. You know, if there are part, part, part of the team are at work and have, you know, fully fronted up for work, then it would be off-putting for them to see people in their jammies at home. So... <laughs> You know, what does that mean for a hybrid workplace? Does that mean that, you know, there's some concessions made that, you know, maybe maybe the workplace doesn't go fully formal and maybe the people working from home make an effort to at least dress from the waist up. You know, <laughs> you know there's got to be a bit of compromise there so that everybody feels comfortable in this new uncharted territory because it really is, isn't it? This is This is new for all of us. Yeah, they imagine they're an old school news presenter, you know, (laughs) blazer on top and (laughs) shorts underneath. Absolutely. I do that for the dinner parties on maths. (laughs) No, no, I've got got Ugg boots down there. (laughs) Um, Now let's uh, go back to some of the stuff that you were talking about earlier, like stepping into bravery and, you know, making fear your friend. Like it's kind of easy to say, but how do you reframe if, say, for example, you, you know, you have to give an important pitch or you're presenting something at work How and public speaking is not something that you're, you think that you're great at. How do you reframe that fear so that you can turn it into a strength and go out there and be a powerhouse? Mm. Well, the first thing I would say is a quick little plug for a free workshop that I have on the 31st of August, which is about exactly this. So you've really <laughs> tapped into, you know, what what people are really wanting at the moment, which is that quick little confidence boost before an important event like public speaking or an important meeting. So that's one thing for your listeners to go and check out. But I guess I I love that you said there um, it's about reframing fear because I think that's important. You know, we hear a lot of messages about, um, you know, you see on Instagram these little memes pop up, everything you want is on the other side of fear and, you know, all this kind of stuff and all this idea <laughs> about getting into the fear and, you know, the, the Nike slogan of just do it. There is a There are a lot of messages out there um, basically telling us that, you know, be fearless. Fear doesn't matter. But I actually disagree and I think fear is there for a reason and it can serve us if we if we do make it our friend, if we do bring it in close, because fear, you know, as we know from an evolution point of view, it's there for a reason. You know, our, our adrenaline kicks in and we go, sometimes we'll go into fight or flight mode, but sometimes we'll go into a mode that is actually just good, positive arousal. And being able to know the difference is really important. So being able to tap into your own fear responses and recognize the ones that are helpful and that are going to drive your performance versus those that are going to hinder your performance is really important. And it's different in everyone. You know, for example, for myself, I noticed that if I'm about to go into performance mode 
and I have a bit of bit of a heart rate's up a little bit. Maybe I'm slightly breathy um, in the way that I'm I'm speaking and breathing. So my my breath is not as deep. Those are good signs for me. For me, they tend to indicate that I'm going to go on to good performance. But I do notice for myself personally that if I go into a dry mouth zone, that can be a bit of danger for me. So I really encourage people to examine your own fear response so that you can identify for yourself where that sort of tipping point is. So you know what is healthy um, high arousal and what is too high. Yeah, so that, because, would, that would be the first thing. Yeah, because um, being nervous is not necessarily a bad thing. Oh, absolutely. You know, we know from sports psychology that an, a moderate amount of arousal or nervousness is another word for it, is the perfect way to get strong performance. You don't want to be under aroused. You don't want to be over aroused. You want to be in that midpoint. So if you think of the bell curve, that's exactly where you want to sit. So yes, it's important that there is a little bit of butterflies in the tummy that's going to actually drive that performance. It's really important. What about if you still have that little voice in your head going, no, not good enough. You're not going to do it right. How do you tell that? Shut up. (laughs) Well, there's a couple of ways. I mean, one one, um, piece of research that I found really interesting, and I, I explored this a little bit in the book, was the idea that physiologically um, being in a state of fear is very, very similar to being in a state of excitement. So if you think about what happens in your body when you're on a roller coaster, for example, and you get to the top and you're just about to tip over and go down and the tummy drops out and all of those signs of physiological arousal are there, it's the same thing in your body as when you are feeling fear or feeling scared. So you can play a bit of a mind trick here and relabel those physical symptoms. So when you're in that state, you need to do it in the moment. When you're noticing those those sweaty palms, heart rate up, that stuff happening, rather than hooking into that that negative self-talk of, oh, I'm so scared, I'm going to stuff this up, everyone's going to see that I'm a fraud, you know, all that imposter syndrome stuff, rather than hooking into those thoughts that might naturally come up, flip the script and say, I'm so excited about this. Really interesting experiment to try. I've tried it out a few times and it's incredibly powerful. It takes a bit of rehearsal, I find, it takes a few goes to get into it. But once you relabel those physical symptoms, your brain doesn't actually know the difference. So it's a really clever way to override some of that negative self talk and just relabel the symptoms that are happening. So I'm really excited about getting on stage. I can't wait to get on camera and share my message those sorts of things. It's worth a try. Is it a bit like fake it till you make it? I actually prefer Amy Cuddy's approach to that, which is fake it till you become it. So uh, much uh, more powerful, right? Yeah. I, I can see her with her hands on her hips yes. right now. Yes, exactly. And I've got to tell power you, pose. I am a power pose girl. I, I love the power pose. I actually take it and um, do a little bit more with it. I like to think of it as the power pose by Mel Schilling. 
<laughs> and uh, if you come along to my workshop on the 31st, um, that's what I'm going to be talking about is how you can basically supercharge the power pose and make it even more um, powerful. <laughs> I love that stuff. Yeah, it's so interesting how um, your physicality can also impact your confidence. Yes, yeah. And look, to be fair, C- Cuddy's work has been has been challenged and, you know, the the idea that the power pose shifts um, hormonal um, balance has been really challenged. But what has, I think, endured in, in reading the more recent research is that from a subjective point of view, when you do stand up tall, when you do have your chest open, your shoulders back, your chin up, um, when you smile and stand in an expansive pose, you subjectively feel more powerful. And for me, that's what's critical here. I don't actually care about the hormonal changes because for me, what is important is how the individual feels because it's that feeling that is going to change the way they speak and behave. And that in turn is going to affect the way people perceive them. And that can then click into the halo effect. So it flows through when you're talking to another person and you appear to be confident, even if you're not feeling it yet, if you're in the process of cultivating a confident um, physicality, you create the halo effect where they will see you as confident, therefore they will believe that you are confident and therefore they'll have all these other often irrational beliefs about you being positive in other areas as well. So it's an incredibly (laughs) powerful trick. So in all your years of experience coaching people, have you noticed that there are significant differences between genders when it comes to confidence? Yeah, yeah, there is. I I really do perceive a, a confidence gap between men and women. And look, I think a lot of it comes back to the way we are socialised, the way we are reinforced and rewarded as kids. You know, generally speaking, we reward boys for being competitive and leader-like and for taking risks and for putting themselves out there, therefore confidence behaviours. And we we reward, sorry, reward little girls for being nurturing and friendly and connecting with others and helping others, um, which is more about care and support, being taking the supportive role as opposed to the leading or the confident role. And, you know, this is something that many of us take into our adulthood as women and it doesn't always serve us. You know, we see certain childlike behaviours in adult women. Um, I I sort of think of them as the little girl hangovers. You know, for example, you might see a woman in the workplace responding to not getting her own way by having a tantrum or (laughs) having having a sulk. Um, You know, she might not lie on the ground and (laughs) bang her feet on the floor. But, you know, there, as adult women, we do it in other ways, don't we? Or we get passive aggressive or we, you know, say yes when we mean no. You know, there are lots of little signs, I think, in, in adult women that we grew up as a little girl being rewarded for behaviours other than confidence. So I think there's definitely some some work to be done there. But what I found really interesting, and actually this was the catalyst for me, wanting to write this book was some research done by Hewlett-Packard a few years ago. I'm not sure whether you saw it, where they got a group of men and a group of women to look at a job description and make a decision about whether or not they would put themselves forward. Oh, yes, yes. I know what you're going to say. Yeah. Right, right. (laughs) 
Yep. So but our listeners don't keep going. <laughs> Let me unpack it a little bit. So what, what they found was that w- when men felt that they met 60% of the criteria, they'd put themselves forward, go, yep, there's 40% gap there, but no, no, no worries. I'm going to jump in and, and back myself. Whereas women would not apply for that job unless they believed they met 100% of that criteria. So women generally in this group wouldn't even be comfortable with a gap of 1%. They had to have 100% criteria met before they applied. So for me, that 40% speaks volumes. And and I, I think that is where the gap is, where men see that gap and jump, they leap. Women see that gap and they don't do anything. So that's really telling for me, and I think we can all take something from that. Yeah, so how can we help women bridge that gap? Well, this is where we need to focus on what we can control because, you know, we, we can't go back and, and rewrite history. We can't change the way we've been socialised. We can't change the way society and the political world and the economic world looks at women because we live within a patriarchal society. That's not going to change overnight. But what we can change is the way we respond to it and the way we choose to to put ourselves forward and to show up in our world. And, you know, a big part of that is the way we talk to ourselves. You know, we have been programmed as as little girls and and as women to um to be small, to be in that that secondary or supporting role. So that's where things need to change, I think, is in the way that we talk to ourselves, the way that we represent ourselves internally, because that's where it all starts. You know, I, I firmly believe that what we think impacts the way we feel, which impacts the way we behave and show up and make decisions. So it all has to come back to what we say when we look in the mirror. Is it also about reframing some of those so-called soft skills to being more positive? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't like the term soft soft skills. Do you? Do you find it? It feels like oh, it irks me. It? But... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Um, I think they're absolute strengths. And in fact, you know, if you look at a lot of women in leadership um, and this incredible uprising I'm finding of women in leadership, so much of the skill that we are demonstrating um, is emotional intelligence, which you know, there's nothing soft about that. You know, it is absolute core strength, particularly when it comes to um, the, the the female superiority around not just self-awareness, but that ability to perceive and read a situation. You know, that, that, that term reading the room is something that women have incredible superiority over men in, and it's been shown, you know, time and time again through research. Um, this is our superpower. And when it comes to leadership, the fact that we have an inbuilt mechanism that enables us to be very clever at reading people, at reading the um, political situation that we're operating within and making smart decisions about how we manoeuvre ourselves through that and navigate those relationships, this is what we need to focus on. This is a real strength. Now let's talk about your book. Why was it time for you to put pen to paper and get everything in your head out? 
Well, I have to say I had a little help from COVID uh, <laughs> because <laughs> lockdown gave me a lot of time and I actually did hotel quarantine on three separate occasions throughout the oh. year that I wrote this book, so I had a lot of time. So that was that was very fortuitous <laughs> for me. So <laughs> thank you, COVID. Um, but but moreover, it, it was you know this is this messaging has been in me for a long time, and you know I've been talking about confidence and courage and competence for a very long time um, in my work. Um, in the corporate world, but also, you know, in my media work as well. This this is what a lot of my conversations on and off camera come back to. Um, and it really was that that piece of research from HP that that pushed me into action mode because I thought I can't actually ignore this confidence gap anymore. Um, this is very real and has very real consequences. And I and I want to help women to create this ripple effect where we can start to change the confidence gap and that's only going to happen by learning what we can do to change what's within our control and that is ourselves so by teaching us women to live with fear to walk alongside fear and 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 make it work for us rather than against us to step into what i call smart courage um, and that's that's not just about jumping without a parachute. You know, that's really considered moves that are not only intellectually savvy but also emotionally very smart. Um, so making a courageous move but thinking about the impact on, you know, the social environment that we operate within. What impact is this going to have on other people? How is this going to impact my brand? All, all of those considerations. So they're smart, but they're also emotionally savvy. And these are these are the techniques that we can now use to start expanding our comfort zone so that it's no longer scary. We can take baby steps and, you know, gradually expand that comfort zone so that our confidence starts to build. And really, confidence for me is about a combination of self-esteem and self-efficacy. And once you can build both of those, then well, the world's your oyster. Mm. How far off do you think we are from from women bridging that gap, from getting that kind of parity where women feel as confident as men? Is it like the 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 pay gap? Is it many many years away? I think the two hundred years has been cited for the pay gap. Hasn't oh, it? I know. <laughs> Wait well, that long? Maybe, maybe is it more like the gender parity on boards thirty years away? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Let's let's look at that. That's that's not such an unachievable goal, is it? But look, I, I'd like to think that. Um, on a micro level or a nano level, we can start making this change now, you know, because this this change happens at a cognitive level. This is a thinking shift that we're making um, because if we put all of our focus into reframing our thinking, the ripple effect is is naturally going to happen. So I think we can start making this change now and start to see the changes immediately at that micro level. So let's all do it. And what about the parents that are listening to this? How can they make sure that they're raising confident girls? I think a big part of this is about role modelling. You know, we, we, we need to be mindful, not stressed about, because I think that doesn't help, but we need to be mindful about the way the way we talk about 
achievement, particularly in front of our girls, you know. And, and I think a really important point here when encouraging our girls is to focus on their, not just their strengths, but also their capability. Let's move away from praising girls for being pretty and adding in that, that piece about their achievement. You know, I, I'm a mother of a daughter and, and she's seven now and I've been so hyper aware ever since she was born of, you know, every time I praise her for something superficial that I add to it something of more substance. Uh, you know, my husband thinks I'm obsessive about it. I probably am. You know, so it looks like this. Oh, you look so beautiful t- today and you're so strong and so fast and your legs can take you such a long way, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I am quite obsessive about it, but I think, you know, you, you can do no harm that way. You know, I, I think it's so important that our girls can grow up knowing that they are capable to climb that tree just as much as they are to look in the mirror and, and do a little dance. You know, I think both are so incredibly important. So I think as parents, thinking about the way we talk about ourselves and the way we talk to our girls are both equally important. Hmm. I guess I can't let you go without talking about maths just a little bit. So you've been oh. doing, um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> you've been doing uh, maths in the UK as well. Yeah. Any significant differences between the couples there and the couples here in Australia? You know, I went into the UK one with some preconceived ideas, I have to admit, some stereotypes, you might say, of our our British brothers and sisters, expecting them to be a little bit more reserved. You know, there's that old cliche of the British having the stiff upper lip and, you know, not really wanting to talk about the privates or what goes on down below. (laughs) Um, And I was pleasantly surprised, I've got to say, maybe took a little bit longer to warm up than our Aussies do, but... Once we did, we, we've broken the ice and, and and I find now that the Brits are just as open and just as prepared to be, you know, raw and, and authentic and vulnerable as our Aussies are. I, I actually would like to do an experiment. I, I wonder if you put the two shows side by side and turned the sound off, if you'd be able to know the difference. Um, my sense is from the way that they relate to each other, you probably wouldn't because we're really just talking about human behavior aren't we and it's it's universal we're talking about the mating behavior of the human species essentially here and you know in many ways we are no difference you know to our our orangutan mates (laughs) (laughs) Um, but what you will see to be fair what you will see is is a key difference is um the diversity in the uk one which is very different from from the aussie one so Mm. hoping that we can follow in the uk footsteps in the future yeah have you just started filming here in Australia as well? Yes, yes. So we're filming yeah. the Australian one now and the UK one is just about to go to air in next week, actually. Excellent. Well, yeah. I'm sure all the fans will be salivating over that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now, um, finally, what's if um, for our business owners, what's the kind of number one confidence tip you could give them to help them be more confident in their day-to-day? I think it it needs to be what you tell yourself, you know. Um, something that I, an advice that I give a lot of my clients is about really reinforcing the message um, that you want to tell yourself. So, you know, some people call these affirmations, some people call them, you know, a mission statement, whatever is meaningful for you. But 
put it everywhere, make it a wallpaper on your phone, or even set up little reminders throughout the day um, to pop up in your phone and say, what am I thinking? Check your thoughts. You know, we fall into these unhelpful patterns and often they've been ingrained over years and years and years, and it can be hard to change them. So by setting up reminders in your day to stop, and check in with your thinking, even jot it down if that's helpful, so that you can start to become more mindful of the words and and stories that you're telling yourself. Make them positive, proactive, and go out there and get them. Thank you so much, Mel. It's been great chatting with you today. Um, Best of luck with the series and and the book. What date does it come out? Uh, 31st of August. Excellent. Available everywhere, I imagine. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much.